Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Tom Goom. Tom is a physiotherapist based in Brighton, England, who specializes in running injuries. He has over 15 years of clinical experience and shares his knowledge with clinicians and runners around the world through his website, Running Physio, and very popular running repairs course. Tom, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I know that one of your particular areas of focus is gait retraining in your practice. And I was wondering if we could start today by talking about what is gait retraining and why is it a continued point of debate? Well, gait retraining is this idea that we can first analyze someone's running gait uh, and see if it's placing more stress on sensitive tissue and then see if we can make some subtle changes to their running gait that might reduce the stress on that sensitive tissue uh, and therefore help reduce their pain. Um, It's a point of debate because there is a theory that we self-optimize our gait, that based on comfort and the feedback that we get from our body as, as we run, that we find a way that suits us. And so there's a question mark as to whether we should then come in and try and change that gait pattern. And if we are changing it, then then whether we might be moving away from our own sort of self-selected optimal. Um, there's also lots of other ways in which we could change pain. Um, and there isn't necessarily a great deal of evidence in people with pain uh, to show that gait retraining can change it. So there is still that debate. It seems sound in theory, uh, but there's still some uh, some challenges ahead about how it's applied in practice. So then who benefits from gait retraining? Well, I would say if you, if you assess a runner and you see something in their running movement pattern that will uh, be increasing the stress on sensitive tissue where they have pain, um, that they may well benefit from some changes to alter their gait and reduce that stress on the tissue. So an example might be that you've got a runner with patellofemoral pain, and uh, when you assess their running gait, you see that they've got quite a lot of hip adduction, uh, which uh, there is evidence to suggest may be a factor in, uh, in patellofemoral pain and may increase the stress on the patellofemoral joint. So you could then try and change that gait pattern by reducing the hip adduction. So you could try a cue like uh, don't let the knees touch uh, or run wider um, to reduce that hip adduction. Um, and then you, you can see if it actually alters their, their pain. So it would be about kind of making that connection between that running pattern uh, and their symptoms and the tissue that's being loaded and then seeing if you can change it. So for our listeners, could you paint a picture of your classic patient coming in with patellofemoral syndrome? Yeah, so um, often what I'll find, because I treat predominantly runners, they'll be often coming in able to tolerate some running, but they'll often find over a certain distance or sometimes a certain speed that they will develop symptoms uh, that often will get worse if they continue to run. So let's say for argument's sake, they, you know, they're fine running you know, three, three miles, but if they push it to four, they start to develop some of their patellofemoral pain. And then if they push much beyond that kind of pain point, it might then linger into the day afterwards and they might find they're getting symptoms uh, up and down the stairs. They're often quite comfortable if they're not running so much. If they cut their running down, often symptoms are quite well controlled in, in this population that I see um, specifically. So then we would we might look at their running gait uh, as part of the assessment. And it would be part of it. Obviously, there's lots of other areas we look at too. And we would look to see, you know, is there anything here that's putting more stress on this sore knee? So the, there's really two big things we would look out for for that. One is overstriding, uh, so tendency to land a long way out in front of the body on a fairly straight knee, which is often coupled with quite a low step rate. 
And the other would be this term medial collapse, not a particularly nice term, but it refers to having lots of hip abduction during the loading phase of running, often coupled with lots of uh, contralateral pelvic drop. So if we're, we're seeing either of these patterns, they may well be placing more stress on that sore knee, and then we would look to use some gait retraining cues to see if we could alter that. If we focus on runners coming in with patellofemoral pain, is there a lot of evidence out there that suggests that gait retraining does reduce the risk of injury or does help their pain? There's kind of two parts to your to your question there. So, so one being um, reducing the risk of patellofemoral pain. No, there's not. There really isn't a great deal of evidence that we can uh, reduce the risk of patellofemoral pain uh, in runners. Um, so, you know, the sort of preventative research is very, very limited. But patellofemoral pain is an area where we actually do have some studies on people with pain in runners. So that, you know, that is quite, quite useful. So particularly, you know, the earlier studies, uh, Neuronatool and Williatool, um, looking at relatively small groups, typically about 10 runners, 10, 10 women with patellofemoral pain, um, finding that altering their gait could improve pain and function. And then we've had more recently studies by Roper et al., DeSantis et al., Brammer et al., all that have actually found that some subtle gait uh, retraining cues can help pain uh, in this population. So there is, there is evidence there for you know, runners with patellofemoral pain um, that maybe we can help their pain, but there isn't necessarily much to show we can prevent it in the first place. I know you mentioned it before, but for our listeners, could you just repeat some of those subtle cues that may help runners with patellofemoral pain? Yeah, so, so trying to reduce hip adduction is one of them. And often what you see when you watch a, a runner running who has quite a lot of hip adduction is that the knees brush together um, during the stance phase of running. And so one of the cues I use, because we want to keep them simple, is just don't let your knees touch. Uh, now, that's a, that's a really simple instruction. The simpler, the better, really. Um, running gait is something that happens very quickly. You know, we're in contact with the ground for less than a third of a second. So giving someone a long list of something to think about isn't really going to work. So don't let the knees touch would be my preferred option in that case. You can try something else like run wider. Uh, but unfortunately, what you tend to see is a lot of runners will overcompensate by running really, really wide. So, you, you know, whatever cue you give them, you've got to give them some feedback as they're using it to try and see if you can create the sort of movement pattern that you're after uh, and try and see if you can get them running in a way that feels comfortable. So those two are great for hip adduction and stride width. But the other one that's very important is in increasing step rate. Now, uh, typically, we might increase the step rate by between 5 and 10%. And the way that you would do that in clinic is you first work out the step rate, which is pretty simple. You, you watch the runner running for a minute and you count how many footsteps they take on one foot in that minute and you times it by two. So that will give you your step rate. And then you can increase it by five to 10% and you can use a metronome uh, paste at that number. So, so let's give you an example. So typically often runners I see might have a step rate of 160. So let's say we start by adding 5% to it. That would take it to 168. Uh, and then we would set a, a metronome to beep at 168. Then the instructions for the runner, again, it's simple, is run to the beat. You know, we keep it as simple as possible. Um, and that increase in step rate will help to reduce the overstriding. And it also tends to reduce hip adduction as well. And we've got evidence that, um, you know, increasing step rate by around 10% can reduce patellofemoral joint stress. So 
you know, it, that's another cue that's very valuable in this population. Besides patients with patellofemoral pain, does gait retraining help patients with other conditions? I think it, I think it certainly can do, but I, um, we have to be honest, there isn't a great deal of research evidence out there in other patient population groups. Um, and that's part of the kind of controversy sound, surrounding gait retraining and part of why I wouldn't necessarily make it your number one priority with runners. You know, we need first and foremost to have education and load management in there, you know, to talk to runners about planning their training and recovery uh, and bringing in strength and conditioning. Those things are often going to be our priorities first before we bring the gait retraining in. But from a clinical standpoint, yeah, I think um, if, if I see, you know, there's a number of conditions I think we can help with. Uh, medial tibial stress syndrome can benefit from it. Um, that's another condition associated with overstriding, but also narrow stride width. Uh, iliotibial band syndrome uh, can also benefit. Again, that, there's an increase in iliotibial band stress with a narrow stride width, so that might be something we can we can work on there. Um, gluteal tendinopathy. We think the gluteal tendons are more compressed in positions of hip adduction and contralateral pelvic drop, so those might be movements we're particularly looking out for in the running gait cycle. Potentially things like Achilles tendon pain, you can reduce peak Achilles load with an increase in step rate too. Uh, but it's always going to be about assessing that individual and trying to, to have a clinical reasoning process that drives that change. It can't ever be about a recipe, if you see what I mean. We can't just throw everybody's step rate up and hope for the best. Is 180 truly the magic number for step rate? No, I th- in a short answer, no. We, we think that step rate is going to be, you know, step rate changes are going to be very much dependent on what your starting point is. So if you're a runner whose step rate is 160, increasing to 180 is a huge step up, and they will find that very challenging in terms of effort. Um, so that, you know, that really won't suit that runner. And most of the research that we've got is based upon finding their starting point and increasing t- typically by you know, five to ten percent. A lot of the studies might be seven and a half percent, ten percent, that type of thing. So I'd base it more on the individual starting point and and less on trying to make everybody aim for one specific number. You know, we're all very, very different. It wouldn't really make sense that we should all run with the same same step rate. I'd like to slightly shift the focus now and make it more clinical. If we could imagine a forty-five year old female walking into your clinic and she sits down and you work out that she's talking about patellofemoral pain how do you start by assessing this patient so first step is i'd really want to know about her training load that's got to be the number one priority if she's a runner um so i by that I'm, i want to know you know what what does your typical week look like you know what is your training on each day of the week in terms of distance and intensity what other sport are you doing really get to know what their weekly schedule's like and then find out about how their training has changed in the lead up to their pain. Um, because we know that, you know, load management is really important in runners and particularly important in patellofemoral pain. So that's got to be the first step. Find out about her training and how it's changed. Find out about her current weekly schedule. And then the next step is to try and find out what's manageable for her. So I'd be asking you, know, how far can you run without pain? Is there a distance that you can do at the moment that, that doesn't stir up your symptoms and doesn't lead to lasting aggravation in, the, in your pain? Because that information helps me to find out what is the level of running I can keep going with this person. Because wherever possible, we do want to keep runners running. You know, it's very important to them and, and stopping running can have a big impact on them. So, you know, that's a really first, first step. Find out about the loading history. 
find a manageable level of loading, and then you can find out what their goals are and progress towards that. But that, that is really very key. Then once we've, we've found out about the load management side of things, the next step are, would be to do an assessment and look for what their rehab needs would be. And we know in patellofemoral pain, there are a lot of uh, impairments associated with it. So perhaps loss of control around the hip and around the knee uh, with single leg loading tasks like single leg squat, uh, maybe loss of strength in the around the hip and around the knee, possibly at the level of the foot as well. Uh, there's evidence of power deficit. So I would go through a, a, an assessment looking, um, you know, systematically these things. So let's have a look at single leg balance and single leg squat. Let's test your strength in the glutes, in the quads, in the hamstring, in the calf. You know, perhaps in the later assessment, let's have a look at, uh, you know, power power testing to see if there's deficits there. Because then you can identify what their rehab needs are and you can put together a, a program, you know, based on that. And then that gait analysis, that might come in session three, session four, even potentially when we've got those key things in place, we might say, right, now's the time to have a look at your gait and see if there's anything we need to, to tweak there. For our listeners, could you explain a little bit more about how you perform your gait analysis? I try and do a, a systematic approach, really. Usually I start on the treadmill uh, if a patient's familiar with the treadmill um, and I will uh, get them to increase the treadmill up to, to their preferred speed. Um, so, you know, they're in control of the speed they want to work with on the treadmill. I give them two or three minutes to, to get used to running on the treadmill and get into their rhythm. Um, and then I will go about taking some, some videos of them running. So I use a, a, an app called Huddle Technique and I use that um, in combination with an iPad Pro because that gives you really good frame rate and you've got a nice big screen to look at. So then I will take videos uh, from behind and from the side. I will also take videos at the level of the feet so get down really low, so we're really focusing on the feet. Uh, but we want to get the, both the whole body and have those kind of foot level specific videos. Um, they don't need to be long. You know, 15 seconds for each video is often enough to give you quite good information. And then I'll calculate the step rate um, just using that method we talked about a moment or two ago. Um, then with that information to hand, we might come off the treadmill and do what we call an overground assessment as well. Now, it's quite a good idea to do both because some people will run a bit differently on the treadmill. So I will then get them off. There's a nice uh, flat area that we can run in at our clinic. So then I would get them, you know, video them from behind, video them from the side. And then we've gathered all that information together for us to actually go through our analysis. Now, the analysis I do is a, is a four-step approach. Um, so step one, um, I'm looking at these videos and I'm looking from top to toe for anything obvious that leaps out. You know, any of these obvious signs like increased hip adduction, you know, like contralateral pelvic drop, like landing on a, in a straight knee in front of your body. So that's the first step, screening from top to toe. Then I look at specifics. So I'd look at foot strike to see, you know, what foot strike pattern they have and how the foot and ankle moves during that running gait cycle. Then I would go on to look at stride length and step rate to see if they're over striding um, and see if they've got a low step rate. And then finally, I would look at step width. So I, and I'm choosing these four steps because there's quite a lot of research to show how these factors load the tissue. So that influences my reasoning process. So hopefully through that four step process, I can have a good idea about how this person's running gait might be loading the tissue and see if I think that's relevant to their pain and then choose maybe a couple of cues to try with them in the session to see if it can improve their movement pattern, see if it can improve their symptoms, and then give them something to work on uh, to take away with. 
Tom, I know we've been speaking a lot in the negative and focusing on things that runners should not do within their gait. And so I was wondering, what are the features of good running technique? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it will vary from individual to individual. Um, so there isn't necessarily an ideal gait we should all uh, look for. But there are some characteristics that we that we might hope to see in a running gait. So quite a tall upright posture is associated with better efficiency. So um, we don't necessarily want to see a runner flexing too far forward from the trunk. Um, we want to see relatively relaxed through the shoulders with a sort of efficient backwards arm, arm swing. Um, we also like to see foot strike happening relatively close to the center of mass. So not tending to land out in front of ourselves on a straight leg. Now, we have to land a bit in front of our center of mass to stop ourselves from falling over. But really, we don't want to see that overstriding, which the classic pattern you see is someone lands a long way in front of their body on a straight knee and quite often with the foot in quite a dorsiflex position. Um, the other thing we like to see is, is not too much medial and lateral movement. So, you know, a, a small gap between the knees rather than lots of hip adduction, lots of contralateral pelvic drop. So, you know, if you're really kind of boiling it down to maybe two things that we that we perhaps, um, you know, looking out for that we don't want to see, one would be overstriding and the other would be this medial collapse because both of them are associated with inefficiency in running technique and both of them are associated with an increased stress across a number of different tissues. So addressing them may well lead to improvements in the stress on a number of tissues and possibly improvements in performance. So you could flip that on its head. It's positive if you're seeing a runner who's not overstriding and who has uh, you know, a decent uh, gap between the knees uh, so they aren't uh, landing uh, and going into a lot of medial collapse. You've talked about your initial assessment of the runner coming in with patellofemoral pain. And we've now worked up that runner, that patient. And so now what is included in your gait retraining program in the comprehensive approach that you talk about? We, I would usually focus on uh, one or a maximum of two key cues to work with. Um, because what you'll find is you, if you change one thing in someone's running, it has a knock-on effect to other things in terms of their running style. So we would usually, uh, in that initial ses- uh, session, when we've taken the videos and we've so- decided some cues, we practice them in the session, usually for bursts of 20 to 30 seconds, using the cue, maybe using a metronome to increase their step rate, um, or practicing don't let the knees touch. And within that session, we take videos of them using the cue, we provide lots of feedback, so we're working together with the runner to show them what their movement pattern looks like with these new cues in, play, in place and to fine tune it towards a comfortable pattern for them to work on. Um, then when they go away, I'll get them to work on one cue in a session and it won't be for the whole session. You know, uh, any runners that are listening will know that you, you can't go and run 10K and concentrate on upping your step rate for the whole time. It doesn't, it doesn't work very well. Uh, we can't concentrate that long. So I'd often say, Let's use this cue for bursts of 20 to 30 seconds a couple of times a kilometre during your run. Um, Or let's use this cue of not letting your knees touch again, 20 to 30 seconds, a couple of times per kilometre during your run. And what we're finding is that people, when they're practicing it regularly, they start to get the feel for the difference between their, their normal style and the style they're using with the cue. Um, we've seen some some runners who've only actually had one session of gait analysis and retraining, and we've not seen them again for several years because they've done very well. They've not chosen to come back. 
and we've reviewed their gate several years down the line and it, it looks like the pattern that we were aiming for in that session. So even sometimes just you know giving people that feedback, the right cues, showing them what the movement pattern looks like on a video, getting them to practice the cue intermittently does sometimes lead uh, to some quite good lasting changes. Uh, so that's the way I would tend to approach it really. It doesn't need a huge amount more than really practicing the cues regularly during your, your running and knowing what movement pattern you're aiming for. During this process in helping the patient work through the gait retraining program, what are things that clinicians are likely to miss? I think one of the things that can sometimes catch people is that, you know, if you look across uh, the research of things, a step rate increase is widely recommended. But we have to remember that it's not very effective if someone's step rate's already quite high. So if you've got a step rate of 175 and above, roughly speaking, and you increase that step rate even further, it leads to a fairly uh, shuffly gait. You often lose flight time because you've increased the step rate too much, um, and that can lead to problems of its, uh, on its own. So that's something that will catch people out, um, remembering that people are more likely to benefit from a step rate increase um, if they've got a low step rate to begin with. The other thing sometimes would be that we've got to remember we often see people in pain. So if you're doing someone's running gait assessment on someone who is still quite irritable and in pain, their pattern may be quite different um, because they might be adjusting to avoid that pain at that point. So choosing the right time to do the gait uh, analysis and retraining is important. And usually we want it at a stage where people are comfortable to do at least some running without pain um, so we can get it, uh, you know, a reasonable overview of what their gait looks like at that point. Um, I think the other thing as well that sometimes trips people up is that we, we provide a cue, but we don't provide the feedback. It really isn't a question of just throwing a cue at a runner and leaving them to it. You've got to practice to them with them in the session, give them feedback, ideally practice it with them off the treadmill as well as on the treadmill because we get the best carryover in the environment we do the gait retraining in. Um, there's been some research this year that's shown that. So I think those would be some of the key things, recognizing that higher step rate um, isn't going to benefit from uh, increasing the step rate further giving people adequate feedback and also practicing off the treadmill as well as on. Tom, if our listeners would like to find out more about you, your work or what you're up to, where should they go? Uh, well, I'm very active on uh, on Twitter. So do please come say hello on Twitter. I always like chatting to people there. I'm quite happy to answer questions. I'm at Tom Goom on Twitter. Um, I also have my website, which is running-physio.com. Uh, and we've got our running repairs course uh, that we've uh, we've delivered all over the UK and uh, around Europe, in fact, and around the world in recent years, um, as well as our online version of the course. So we've got some uh, you know good opportunities there for people to learn more about running if they want to. Brilliant. Tom, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this BGSM podcast with Tom Goom. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect through our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BGSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BGSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day. 